Trump and like his the first wife show up on an episode. That did not age well at all. Oh my god. Do you remember in the early to mid 90s? On today's episode, we'll be discussing the last three seasons of the unforgettable NBC sitcom The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. This series follows our protagonist's life as he adjusts from lower middle class life in West Philadelphia to a posh new existence with his aunt and uncle in Bel-Air, California. Fresh Prince is one of the most ubiquitous American sitcoms of all time. So what was the secret behind this landmark series' success? Stay tuned. All right, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. And if you haven't listened to last week's episode yet, stop right now and get into that. But if you have, here are just some details to refresh your memory on The Fresh Prince. The series is a sitcom created by Andy Borowitz and Susan Borowitz. It aired from or was released from September 10th, 1990 until May 20th, 1996. But it still continues to air in syndicate until this very day. It originally aired on NBC for six seasons and a total of 148 episodes. The series stars Will Smith as Will Smith, our protagonist, James Avery as Philip Banks, Will's uncle, Janet Hubert as Vivian Banks um, from seasons one through three, and Daphne Maxwell-Reed as Vivian Banks in seasons four through six, and Vivian is Will's aunt. Alfonso Ribeiro as Carlton Banks, Will's cousin, Karen Parsons as Hillary Banks, Will's cousin, and Tatiana M. Ali as Ashley Banks, Will's cousin. Joseph Marcel as Jeffrey Butler, the Banks's butler. DJ Jazzy Jeff as Jazz, Will's best friend. Vernie Watson-Johnson as Viola Smith, a.k.a. Vi, Will's mother. Jennifer Lewis as Helen Smith, Will's eldest aunt. Charlene Woodard as Janice Smith, Will's other aunt. And, um... Tyra Banks as Jacqueline Ames, Jackie, Will's season four girlfriend. Nia Long as Beulah Wilkes, a.k.a. Lisa, Will's season five girlfriend and later fiance. And Ross Bagley as Nikki Banks, Will's youngest cousin. Um, Ross plays Nikki from seasons five through six. So let's jump into season four. This was 26 episodes um, long and their longest season. This was also the first season where um, Daphne Maxwell Reed plays Aunt Vivian and Janet Hubert um, was t- removed from the series um, because of off screen, behind the scenes drama with her and Will Smith and eventually the NBC network. So we're introduced to a new Aunt Viv. This was something that sitcoms often did. They would replace a character, or in the case of some like Family Matters, remove the character altogether. So. Um, Let's talk about how this shift in dynamic impacted the series going forward. So season four, um, Alex, why don't you go ahead and give us your thoughts on this season? Okay, so season four. Season four, we kick it off with... I really liked season four. Season four is great. So we begin the sort of... We're in the beginnings of the college years. 
Um, like with any show, uh, it's, it's, I, I think every show, once they get to this point of like the college years, it's always rough. I think everyone like has, I think every show struggles with like, like, what is this story now? Um, and I don't think Fresh Prince is any different. It does feel like these college years, uh, points do feel bumpy because everybody's in separate places. But, um, Fresh Prince is one of the, I think, Fresh Prince is one of, is the difference and is one of the, like, more sophisticated shows and that, like, I think it does handle that shakiness well, um, the beginning of season four, we're automatically introduced to light skin, light skin Aunt Viv. Um, she's nice. She's fine. But, uh, and it's funny. I do like, I like it when shows are like self-aware and, or, and like they use the self-awareness of the joke and like, they just sort of just use the joke or, and acknowledge it through the show. And Fresh Prince does that. So, when we see like the new Aunt Vivian, um, they're like, hmm, like something strange is about something seems different about you, Aunt Viv. Like Will says that, and then like Jazz says something about it as well. And when Will says something about it, um, he looks at the camera and breaks the fourth, which I in you know, winks at the audience, which is I, I always love and appreciate stuff like that. Yeah, I think, and I think it was, even though it was put in a humorous context, I think it was the smart thing to do, um, rather than not acknowledge it at all. Um, I would, I think would have been disrespectful to both of the actresses who played Aunt Viv, as well as to the audience. Like, we're not dumb. (laughs) These women don't look anything alike. Um, But yeah, um, it was sad. I was sad to see Janet Huber go because she's um, definitely my favorite Aunt Viv. And I think the reason why she's my favorite Aunt Viv, Viv, besides the fact that she's the first, the original, the best, the greatest, is that I think prior to this replacement of Aunt Viv, they just wrote better material for the character. (laughs) I was about to, I'm so glad you brought that up because that was going to be my next point is that this new Aunt Vivian, while she's fine and that actress is is fine and great, um, there is a noticeable shift in how that character is and how that character is written for. Like, she doesn't get a lot anymore. She's, I mean, she's barely noticeable. I think that's what kind of got me is that, like, Aunt Viv, the new Aunt Viv is very much, like, shunned from stories, Whereas in um, seasons one through three, I mean, Aunt Vivian gets her, gets an entire episode to herself, right? That never mm-hmm. really happens again. Right. And she's always kind of at the forefront of everything, whereas this new Aunt Viv is kind of in the background. Um, I it, it really felt like her, her personality had completely changed. I think that's what gets people when we talk about the Aunt Viv character. It didn't feel like Aunt Viv had been replaced. It felt like... Um, like the kids had a new stepmother and Philip had a new wife. It absolutely did. It felt like that. Um, I, I really never got past it. I never felt like the chemistry was as good with any of the other actors. I mean, I know that Will Smith and Janet Huber had their issues, but their on-screen chemistry was great. I never felt that Daphne quite had that. 
and they kind of uh, made her character so dowdy. You know, Vivian was very, very assertive and she was a, prof- a law professor and all that other great stuff. And now she's been like reduced to like housewife status. Exactly. She does. She feels like a housewife, doesn't she? Cause like yeah. dark skin on Viv is like, like you said, she's a law professor, but Viv- Janet Hubert definitely felt very elegant, very poised. Um, like definitely felt like a rich bitch and mm-hmm. new Aunt Viv doesn't feel like that. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, she doesn't give me that energy at all. Her energy is definitely more Carol Brady to me. Like yes. they went from Claire Huxtable to Claire Brady. Mm-hmm. I don't like it. Um, <laughs> I don't like it, but there are many, many things about season four that I do like. But let's start with the season opener. Who this was this was intense, you guys. Hillary's boyfriend, Trevor, proposes to her and she's like, nah, that ain't it. Um, do it better. Cause it's Hillary and she's demanding. And he's like, Okay, I'll do it better. So he pr- proposes to her live on TV while bungee jumping, but something went horribly wrong. His bungee wasn't attached and he bungee jumped to his death. Um, <laughs> it's it sounds terrible it's hilarious when it happens like no like I still feel bad laughing about it but when you see it you can't not laugh about it sorry it just is what it is uh, I feel terrible that, that Trevor went out this way but Hillary's out here um, you know doing her, her her pretty young widow things morning Trevor and our, the series literally starts with Trevor's death, which I thought was very, very risky. But it paid off because Trevor's death is one of the most memorable events of Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Definitely the most memorable thing to happen to a supporting character. <laughs> um, and she and it's and it's excellent because uh, it, uh, it allows Hillary to grieve in the most Hillary type way. Like I said, she's doing her young, cute widow things. She's looking amazing. Um, while she's um, mourning Trevor, she looks really good in black. Um, and, and she's she's wearing all Dolce and Gabbana the entire time. It works for her. She could get another dude real quickly. I'm sure she could have gotten another dude at Trevor's funeral, to be honest. <laughs> Definitely. Um, it's it's funny. And yeah, that's how we sort of start the season. Um, but season four is actually like... Uh, a really strong season. Some of the most, I think, memorable episodes of the series happen in season four. So as much as that college stuff, as much as the college stuff is rocky, like I think season four does serve greatness. Let's talk about some of these ultra memorable episodes. So the one that I want to talk about is let's talk about Carlton losing his virginity to like this woman to Phillips person. Uh, yeah, that was kind of cringe. It was cringe. You know, it was okay. So why do you think it was cringe? Cause I know why I think it was cringe, but like you talk about it first. Because she was a, uh, a family friend that's kind of been all hanging around since he was a kid. Right. She was like somebody's, no, he doesn't know her. Like he. Okay. Yeah. Oh, no, I'm sorry. I'm mistaking, I'm mistaking that for the time where one of um, Philip's colleagues hit on Will. The, the um, episode that's basically the graduate. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, that's what I was thinking about. No, um, I just think this this episode with Carlton could have been handled better, maybe with someone age appropriate. She's like, so the episode is like he meets this. So he and Will are having this comp. It, not him. It's him, Will, and like one, and two of like Will's friends, like their friends, and they're having this conversation, and all of them are talking about how, oh, remember when we lost our virginity? And then Carlton's like, I'm still a virgin. And (laughs) they all clown him for still being a virgin. Mind you, Carlton's like 18. (laughs) He's either like 18 or 19. They're like their freshman year of college. Um, So it's like, no, you're still like in like a really age appropriate (laughs) moment. (laughs) Like they're all like making fun of him. And... Carlton says, well, I want sex to mean something and I want to find someone that like I really love and I'm, I'm in love with and I want it to be for the right person. And I, I guess I put it in my notes and it was interesting to me because like we never see that particular language and this particular uh, thing play out with like men, particularly black men, particularly like black men who are visibly black. And I thought it was so interesting. Mm, Yeah. Um, I do think that that was a nice touch that we, we, we are putting it out there that sex does mean something to some men, at least that um, there aren't just a bunch of dudes out here just like casually fucking everything that moves. Um, I think that we do ourselves a disservice um, and we do boys a disservice when we 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 propel the narrative that they should just want to um, you know raise their body count and stack their number as high as possible. Um, but um, I do think they did the Carlton service, the Carlton character disservice by having him lose his virginity to an older woman, as if that's like the only person who could understand something like that. They did something similar in American Pie. With the fit with the Finch character, mm-hmm. and I'm just like, can we not? Because we do this a lot with people in their um, mid to late teens, where we're like, oh, they're just so mature. Their peers don't understand them. That's why we need to give them an older love interest. Right, and I don't think that's necessarily the case. Um, yeah, and it it goes like you say, like Carlton meets this woman, and granted, she looks like she he meets her at the student union. So I think he uh, assumes at first she's a student and they bond. Cause like they both like Tom Jones or whatever. And they go to this Tom Jones concert and she, and they have sex and he's like, so happy about it. Like the next day he's like telling Will, he's like, I think I found my soulmate in that sort of, way that Carlton always overdoes things. Um, but it's very sweet and very endearing. And then later on at like um, a gathering at the house, Philip's like, hey, meet the the wife of my judge friend. And it's the woman that Carlton slept with. And he's completely and utterly destroyed. Right. And it sucks. <laughs> like I feel right. so bad. Well, I do think what happened at Carlton was cringe. Um, like I said, I do like the episode for a few reasons. I like both his sensitivity. 
um, and his attitude towards sex. And, you know, that's rarely portrayed with a guy. And I also, like, I don't like the fact that this happened to him, but I like that it was portrayed. Because oftentimes when sitcoms want to push the message of waiting to have sex or abstinence, they will give you this exact same storyline with a girl. And they'll be like, see, that's why you got to keep your virginity. Um, but this happened to Carlton. Like, he gave his heart over to someone that he really felt a strong connection to. And she was just, you know, using him to pass the time before she went home to her husband. And that's that's painful to watch. But I've, I've watched the same scenario play out on television and film with um, women characters, like, more times than I can count. Right. And that's why I, I noted it is because it's, it's interesting. Um, like you said, I like, I also like that he's given that space to be so sensitive as a man. And what I do like about it is that like, in the end, like Will does like affirm that in kind of like, I mean, it's kind of half, it's kind of half-assed, but Will does like sort of, sort of affirm that thinking. Like he's like, yeah, like maybe I'd be like a better person or a different person if I treated sex like, like a serious thing rather than just this thing to like enhance my rep. And like, it's good that you're different or that you think about this in this way. Um, and it was just, I like that, but then it was also just interesting to see the difference and how the narrative is when it's applied. Cause we, like you said, we see this narrative a lot with women, but how different that's applied or when it uh, comes to men. And I think my takeaway of it is just like, I guess make boys more sensitive. That's nice. It was nice to watch. That's all. Um, right. I think the best part about it is that like, <sighs> Carlton doesn't use his hurt as an excuse to become a dog or an asshole. Right. Like, he's hurt, but he's not going to be out here like, you know, fuck bitches, get money. Or, or uh, these hoes are for everybody. I don't care anymore. <laughs> right. Um, right. That's true. And that's that's very pleasing. This is also the season where we meet, um, we meet Jackie. Jackie. Uh, uh, played by uh, Tyra Banks. Jackie is um, Will's friend from Philadelphia, who he's always sort of felt for, but never um, had. She's the one that got away, and she's going to their new college, um, ULA. Uh, <laughs> I uh, see what y'all did there. I same. see what y'all did there. We see what you did there, show. Um, but she's going to ULA and with with Will and Carlton, and they get back into each other's orbits and and begin like a sort of tete a tete with each other once again. I love the Jackie character, <laughs> love it, love her. Yeah, Jackie's a great character. Um, now, I have never been a fan of Tyra Banks as an actress, but with this particular character. I thought that her acting style, so to speak, worked. Like, it worked with the Jackie character. And I felt that she and Will had this good chemistry. I never felt like it was, like, a romantic chemistry, but it was, like, a good enough friend chemistry that their bickering on screen came off very realistic. Same. Same. I I also, I liked it for that reason as well. Like you said, I think the 
I think what ended up happening is like the writers just wrote to her personality that allowed her to sort of be strong in, in this position um, and come off well on the show. Uh, another episode that really stood out to me was Fresh Prince After Dark, which is interesting. So it's another interesting episode. So the episode goes like Hillary is, you know, the web, the local weather girl, and she's been chosen by Hugh Hefner to like be part of this like Playboy magazine spread of like local California weather girls. Mm-hmm. Um, and Philip is like, you will not get out here and pose naked in this magazine, even though I have a subscription to this magazine and buy all these magazines and look at these women, but you cannot look at, but you cannot, um, don't you get out there and, and be naked, a uh, little girl. And, um, Hillary stands up for herself and she goes, I can do whatever I want to do. Cause she's I'm grown. grown. Cause she's grown. <laughs> she's grown. And Aunt Viv is like, she's grown. I, I said I wasn't with it, um, but she's grown. And and it's it's cool. It's a cool episode. It is a cool episode because I feel like any other show would have been like Hillary came to her senses and realized she's a good girl after all. <laughs> right? Right. But no, she went ahead and did that because she's like, I'm young and hot. I won't be this young or this hot forever. <laughs> so she did what she had to do um i i think as bumpy as you mentioned the college years being i do think that the show handles the the socioeconomic disparity between jazz and um will really well in that very first episode so the b plot of that episode is that jazz sent a bunch of rappers over to will's party and his um at their new apartment and got him and Carlton kicked out of their room by the landlord. Um, now jazz isn't in college. And so we see that very clear disconnect, um, and that very clear shift, like the divergence in their priorities between jazz and will, right? Like they're best friends, but clearly they're growing they're growing in different directions and they, and this episode is kind of that stark reminder of that, that they are growing in different directions that they're going to have to, for the first time, maybe in their lives work to keep this friendship alive because they're becoming different people. Right. And it's interesting. Jazz's, um, role gets greatly reduced this season and sort of stays that way. Um, I think is precisely because of the reason you're bringing up right now. They're just, they're in different, as of now, they're, they really are in different socioeconomic classes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think it's interesting too, because um, we do, he does get like a greater role in like the, the following seasons, but I think we needed this. We needed to see a little bit less of jazz because jazz was, you know, that kind of reminder of Will's past and goals that he simply doesn't have anymore. Right. Right. All of this will sort of like come back together. What we're talking about um, with like socioeconomic class and like Will and Will feeling torn between how he grew up and, and the life he had versus the life he has now and and the resources that are afforded to him via his rich uncle. Um, that'll actually culminate 
all together this season in like the the season finale of the Philadelphia story. But we'll mm-hmm. get to that in a minute because that's also on my list and it's it's really interesting. Um, but two more, I think, and just a couple more things I I'm interested in. So, okay, so something that I hate this season is that like they come back with these fat jokes. I and they are like relentless and there and there's even an entire episode that's dedicated to just like James Avery's character Uncle Phil. Uncle Phil like it's just a really gross episode like of Uncle Phil and and they and it's all like the sort of concern trolling with his health and then they and then in the end like he gets a heart attack and it's really <sighs> ugly it's also ugly particularly when you consider that after all of this in real life james avery underwent like gastric bypass Mm -hmm. and then that and then die and then like he didn't die like after gastric but like those surgeries are like a real like toll it all takes like a huge toll on your body um and and then he just like and then like you know he ended up passing uh, with like um, other health conditions, and it's like it all. I guess like in twenty twenty, it all just feels really gross. It does. Um, I mean, I wouldn't have minded if the the Philip character had decided for himself that he wanted to lose weight. But everyone making a joke about it, and like you said, that sort of like concern trolling when. Honestly, he's been the same size for the last four seasons. Um, it feels like completely out of left field and it feels forced and it feels contrived. I don't like it. I don't like it. <laughs> same. I don't like it. It feels gross. It's like, leave people alone. Like, <laughs> um, and it, and it's it's one of the it's definitely one of the parts of of season seasons season four that um I'm not into okay uh so one of the so I guess like one of the other like really iconic famous episodes of this show happens this season which is the season which is the episode where we meet Will's dad. Like, Will's dad comes back, and then, you know, he is, like, a deadbeat again. I mean, he never really stopped. Can't stop, won't stop. <laughs> um, but, you, like, he's, he's basically taking a two-week hiatus from being a deadbeat. He's trying to pretend to be the involved father now, because he's bored, basically. Basically. It's, gr- like, in watching it, like, I guess, again, like, finally, like, in its context, it was nice. I actually think the performance is a little overwrought, like from Will Smith. It teeters that it almost goes over that line, but but it is very, very it's good. I liked it. I don't know. I always felt that that performance is actually spot on, and I'm gonna talk about why. So it's getting personal, kids. I didn't have no daddy around when I was growing up. And I feel like although this affected me, like how could it not? I'm not really sure all the ways it affected me. I just know that I don't have like particular daddy issues. But what I do notice is that the girls who's, who had the like the revolving door dad, the dad that comes around sometime, the dad that promises to see you and only keeps that promise like one out of 10 times, did end up having a lot of issues. <laughs> and um, because 
it takes an emotional toll on someone when the parent doesn't just leave. The parent puts themselves in a position where they're proximal but not enough and make you feel like you have to earn their love. Mm. Um, and I think that's that's where the real frustration comes because he's spending all this time with his dad. He feels like they're bonding. He's starting to feel safe around this man again. He says, let's go on the road, son. It's going to be me and you, father and son. Only to be disappointed again. And now he, you're back to feeling like that little kid whose dad didn't come home. Mm, okay, I get that. I also don't have a d- daddy growing up. And, like, I I definitely have daddy issues, too, like, in that sense. But not, but, yeah, I, I don't have them like that. Of, like, right. this disappointment. Because you're not waiting on a man to come, to, to come get you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're just not, you're not waiting on it. You're like, okay, it's, it's just never going to happen. yeah. Yeah, no, and it's, 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 I guess, I guess that's, you're right. You know what? Really thinking about it, you're right. Cause that's what it is. It's like, I just don't have, I don't have that expectation because it's like, I never had it. Like, I just don't expect anything. I expect you to be trash like a hundred percent of the time and that I am all I, I'm, I'm the only person that I have. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, like, and the thing I think with Will, too, is, like, at this point, he's, like, 18 or 19 years old. His dad's been gone since he was, like, eight. It was just him and his mom. And then the mom sent him off to go live with these other family members. And his dad's doing God knows what with God knows who probably got a whole other family or other kids, you know, dangling in the wind out there. Then his dad comes back and he decides to give this Negro another chance. And then you're like, again? Like, now you feel stupid, too. You don't just feel neglected and abandoned you feel dumb for giving them a second chance so i'm like you know what i'd probably feel like really really upset and i feel stupid too yeah like, i get it, I get it. Be- because he didn't owe this man another chance and i wish fathers like lou or there, there probably might be mothers too but you know there's more of you <laughs> so i'm addressing the deadbeat fathers out there i wish you could understand that like your kids don't owe you a second chance. They actually don't owe you a first chance. If you want to be in your kid's life, you got to be there from day one, period. And if they give you a second chance, you don't do what Lou did. Right. You can't sort of play those games because it's not, it's just not going to, there's no room anymore. You have to make a decision that you're going to do this thing. Right. So I, his spirit was just crushed and, like, I, I get it. I really, really get it. And I think that scene with Uncle Phil is a really, really good one because it shows that even though Uncle Phil has been a father figure to him for all of these years, it's just not the same as having a father. <sighs> so, so sad for Will. It's, it was moving. Yeah, it's it's a great episode. Uh, so then, okay, so then this next episode is really... Next episode I want to talk about. It's really interesting. So it's the next episode is called um, "For Sale by Owner," and it's so the episode is about basically Carlton is like really excited to like rush this black fraternity. Um, don't ask me the name of it because I don't remember. And it's a really it's a weird episode. So, oh, you talk about the episode with a uh, Phi Beta Gamma. Yeah. Uh, okay, okay, I, I remember that episode. Episode eight: Blood is thicker than mud. <laughs> Terrible. Um, yeah. Either it's. Y- yeah, you're right. Sorry, that was that's it. I don't know why I said it's for sale by owner because, like, I guess that's the one. Oh, okay. 
Um, oh, also, <laughs> I for yeah, it's because like HBO Max is giving me the wrong ass screenshot as I look at the screen. That's why. Um, useless. <laughs> useless. Okay. Also, the Trumps <laughs> make a make a <laughs> Donald Trump and like his the first wife show up on an episode that did not age well <laughs> at all. Oh my god. Do you remember in the early to mid 90s it was like a thing where like Donald Trump was considered like a hip hop icon. They would put him in TV shows and shout him out and shout him out in rap songs because Negroes aspired to his wealth or his status. And and the nigga's wealth is fake. He doesn't have any like like he's as bad as rich as that black dude from um Game of Thrones who wanted to marry Khaleesi. He getting by on clout. He getting by on clout. You guys, stop. Is that is that why like people? Is that why like niggas loved him because they're like, I too can be a fake rich person. (laughs) Like they didn't know it was fake though. They didn't know it was fake. Um, I think I think he started falling out of favor when he well with some people when he called for the death of the Central Park Five. But there were still people that were like, well, yeah, they they did do that thing. So fuck them. Um, and people just conveniently ignored how he was getting people displaced, how he spearheaded gentrification in certain areas, how he was like a slumlord and, you know, for, for areas where he didn't even own property. Um, yeah, but like Donald Trump was a, a movement. It was a moment in um, black hip hop culture. He's always been great at self. I mean, he's always been great at self-promotion. Like his PR game is like it. Like I, I guess that's that's the only thing you can give to him. Like his, he's just he's always known how to work that PR machine, like that, like that that clout factor about himself. I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, so blood is together in mud is about Carlton, and Carlton wants to rush this black fraternity, and um, Carlton convinces Will that. Will should come and rush this fraternity with him. And Will's like, I don't really need to pay for friends. And Carlton's like, no, it'll be fun and cool. And Uncle Phil gives Will the talk of like, you know, black fraternities do all this great work, which they do. And um, you should rush it because it's a good organization, blah, 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 blah. And so Will decides that he's going to do it. So they both rush this fraternity and immediately... Will is more embraced by the the brothers and Carlton is ostracized um, during Pledge Week, which is like when they're doing all the sort of like hazing rituals. Yeah, Car- Carlton's immediately ostracized because, you know, because, you know, he likes Tom Jones and he doesn't re- listen to rap records and like, um, he's just sort of weird. <laughs> like he's just goofy. He's Carlton. Um, and it's, and at the end they're like, uh, <laughs> and, and, you know, Carlos Carlton's like rich and he grew up rich. And, and in the end they, they basically without saying, without like really saying it, they basically say it. They're like, Oh, you're not black enough to be in this fraternity Carlton. And, <sighs> there's so much going on in this episode. And I was like, wow, we've really been doing this for this long, this whole you're not black enough sort of fallacy thing that's happening. 
Right. Um, it's it's interesting because um, prior to this, we never really see Carlton have any black friends either. And it isn't specifically because he doesn't like being around black people, but specifically because all his friends all his life have been wealthy. And I feel like the conversation or the, the episode would have gone over better if we really talked about how classism leads inadvertently to internalized racism. Yes. And that's what got me. And not because it's like, and you're right. It's like Carlton's never been, Carlton grew up around, like in predominantly white schools, around predominantly white and had predominantly white friends. But then like the episode doesn't talk about how Carlton holds a lot of like anti-black ideas, like, mm-hmm. and that would absolutely ostracize him from Black people. Yes, like, he's a Republican. He loves Ronald fucking Reagan. You guys, like, we know that, like, and this is like a 90s show. Ronald Reagan's been evil. Like, we know this. Black people right. know this. <laughs> like, um, yeah, so, and it's like the sh- so it, the episode reduces it to like, oh, these black people are just being mean, but they don't want to talk about, yeah, how like classism leads to anti-blackness just by, mm-hmm. by virtue of it. It just does. And they, they, the, the episode doesn't want to address that. And I don't care how many black friends you do have, or even if you're black yourself, um, or how you struggled as a black person or whatever the fuck, if you are supporting um, political groups and political parties and political figures who directly harmed and whose policies continue to directly harm disproportionately to a disproportionate amount black people, then you can't be out here wondering why black people don't fuck with you. Right. And another thing is, is that like Carlton's also as much as like I love that character and like I love uh his portrayal and I I I think Carlton's really funny and goofy. Um I don't think it should be discounted that like Carlton's not like a nice person. Like Will and Carlton have like formed a brotherhood with each other by necessity because of familial ties and and Will's just gotten like used to him, but like if I met somebody like Carlton, I wouldn't want to fuck with him either. Like, I'm sorry. Like, we wouldn't be friends. Like, um, cause he has all these, also cause, cause he's like a, he's also like a snob. Like, you know, yep. he, he's, you know, when he comes Carlton into, is elitist as fuck. <laughs> he's elitist as fuck. Like he, when he shows up at the frat, he's like, oh, like my, my butler would deal with this shit. Like I don't clean. <laughs> I'd be like, who is this nigga and how can I get away from him as fast he as humanly damn well possible? Jeff ain't coming over there. Jeffrey ain't coming over there to do shit, actually. Um, <laughs> right. It's like I'd be like, somebody get me away from this person because I don't want to, I don't want to do this. <laughs> like, so and then the sh- so that the fact that the show reduces it doesn't really talk about any of this, doesn't go into and immediately reduces it to. I'm just as black as you are is <laughs> so reductive and so like in fear and like maddening on so many levels. <laughs> yeah, they do this a lot in the 90s. I'm um, not necessarily with wealthy characters like Carlton, but 
from pretty much from the late eighties straight through until today, we have those, am I not black enough for you episodes with some biracial girl? Ugh. I can't I'm, I'm tired of it. You you guys don't want to have the deeper conversations about how things like um, white proximity, um, class status, socioeconomic status, um, even le- level of education does impact how certain people treat others. And then um, later, as a direct result, impacts how they are viewed by the group that they want to belong to. Right. And... The, and so the other part that, like, they sort of use, that, that the episode uses, or that the mean, quote-unquote, mean people use against Carlton is, like, oh, well, he likes Tom Jones, or, like, oh, well, he likes Mo- Michael Bolton, like, he likes pop music or whatever, and he doesn't listen to, like, rap or hip-hop, but it's, like, the show totally forgets that, like, Carlton has sort of, like, parroted these anti-Black messages about... Um, how rapper hip hop is like deviant or -hmm. like somehow listening to it makes you like lesser than. Yeah. He absolutely associates rap with poverty and that's the real reason he doesn't listen to it. Not because it's just not his cup of tea. Now there's nothing wrong with Tom Jones or Michael Bolton. I fuck with them too. My ears have been an 80 year old white man since I was nine years old, (laughs) but, (laughs) but um, what we're not going to do is pretend that the people people who don't like rap simply don't like rap. There are very few who don't like it as a music style, who like just don't vibe with it the same way that some people don't vibe with um, pop or rock or opera. A lot of people, especially wealthy Blacks and white people in general, who don't like rap and hip hop don't like it because it is black dominated. Right. And like for, for the kids who listen to the podcast, which y'all do, I see y'all in the, 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 um, the analytics. It's like, this was a thing for like a really long time. Like, I know that you don't have like a, a like, I know that it's hard to like conceptualize this. Cause you're like, what are you talking about? Like, there are entire, like, academic studies dedicated to, like, hip-hop and rap. And, like, it's – and to know so much about it is, like, actually, like, a not, it's a it's a status of, like – it's a cultural status, which is why you have so many white male journalists who, like, do exclusively write about hip-hop and, like, have degrees in it and, like, teach, cl- teach university courses on it. It never used to be. <laughs> It like this was what it actually was like in the 80s and the 90s like and I think a big part of the early 2000s was you know rap was synonymous with black hip-hop was synonymous with black and you know and white people hated it they just did like it 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 was really heavily demonized um and you couldn't say nigger and you couldn't say black people but you could say like, I just hate that rap crap or whatever, but it was the same messaging. Right. It was, it was, it was very much coded language for, I don't like that nigger music. It, it, basically. That's what it was. <laughs> and, you know, rap is still seen as very black and it's still very black dominated. The difference though, is that when white people were able to find a way to intellectualize it and capitalize off of it via academia, 
um, and um, signing hip hop artists to record labels because every major rap group at the time had a white um, A&R person or label head behind them. Believe that. Believe um, it. Know it. Then, then it, it started to slowly become more and more acceptable. Um, but honestly, it's this generation, Gen Z, where I've seen um, uh, the, well, no, our generation, um, I want to say Gen X. It was with Gen X that I started seeing that people in their 30s and 40s who were not black would admit to liking rap music. Right. And it was always like in like, oh, like it was always in like the cover of darkness. <laughs> right. Right. And, and then they would follow up with something truly distressing. Like, I love the Beastie Boys. And I'm just like, Ugh, you Ugh, learned it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> like, okay. um, but no, um, now we have like a white hip hop museum create curator. Um, so, you know, y'all have infiltrated and it's acceptable now. But definitely Carlton was very anti-black in a lot of his rhetoric. The fact that Carlton was black is not a cover for any of this. It makes it worse, actually. It makes it worse. And, like, and once you understand that part of it, and, like, it, it, brings, that it brings that episode's problems into just, like, a clearer focus. And that was, like, my, my primary issue with it. And that's why it's annoying that, like, it's reduced to, like, oh, I'm not I'm you think I'm not black enough because I listen to Michael Bolton. No, bitch. Black people love Michael Bolton. I know a lot of black people that love Michael Bolton. Um, it's because like your your rhetoric and everything you believe is is fundamentally harmful for black people. So they don't fuck with you. That's what's going on. Um I mean, honestly, I feel like black people, even those who grew up in the hood, they know more white artists from more genres than the reverse just the way that it is like white black people fucked with michael bolton and richard marx and tina marie and even george michael for a time <laughs> right so, so this goes on but that's on. the point i'm making the point i'm making is no one's mad that you're listening to michael bolton we know he got blue-eyed soul we know we know some of those records slot we we acknowledge it we're not we're not mad at it we just don't fuck with you. That's why. That's all. So yeah, that was that was an annoying episode. The season ends with episode twenty six of the Philadelphia Story, and the Philadelphia Story is basically Will goes back to Philadelphia. In fact, the whole the whole Banks family um, goes to Philadelphia, back to Will's hometown, and. Um, this is the and the, this is the first not the first time but it's the first time in a long time in four seasons right that we are reminded of Will's real socioeconomic class. Um, Will and so the banks all travel to to Philadelphia and immediately where we recognize that these these are very rich black people. Um, because they go stay with Will's aunt. And I guess in the and immediately it's like, oh, Vivian and Uncle Phil will have to take Will's bedroom and Will and Car Carlton and Will can Will and Carlton can, you know, sleep on the couch and Ashley and Hillary can like sleep in my bedroom with me. You know, the way that like 
you know, just the way that like families do, right? When the housings are, are you know, lower middle class and like you go visit each other. Mm-hmm. This felt, I don't know if this feels familiar to you. I'm sure it does, but like this felt it felt very familiar, familiar to me. And that like, oh, this it is her sure does. <laughs> yeah. It sure it's, it's super familiar, familiar to me. And, and like, when I go stay with my family in Jamaica in Kingston or whatever, it's like, you know, seven people are going to be in like one room and like three people got to be in another and we're all on top of each other, but it, it's what it is. And, but there's like, there's also like a real joy in that. Uh, the banks do not find it joyful. <laughs> They're like, uh, let's go get a hotel and like, let's know. And of course, Will's mom is like, if you don't stay in my house, like I'm going to be personally offended, which yeah, <laughs> like my family would also be personally offended if like I, if we came and to Jamaica and like, we didn't stay in their home. You know, right, like, what are you saying that my home is not good enough for you? You know, Hillary being Hillary, she's like, it's not that it's not, but it's just poor. Like Hillary actually says the words, ugh, like poor, like poverty. She's literally the only member of the Banks family that hasn't learned tact or passive aggression. She's the only one, <laughs> the only one. And, um, and so Phil, and then, so Will takes everybody around like Philadelphia and he takes them back to like his favorite, you know, cheesesteak spot. And like, he orders them like food and like he's so, and he's basically like very joyful to be back in his hometown. And of course they don't get it. They're like, ew, this food's greasy. Like, why is it funny that like the juke, the, the jukebox doesn't work. Like this place sucks. (laughs) Like, (laughs) and, um, and they don't get it. They, right. They just don't get it. Uh, they don't understand like that joy. Like, like obviously poverty sucks. Like I'm not going to sit here and pretend that like poverty, poverty is great, but there is something that is intangible about, um, those hole in the wall places where you grew up. And even if you grew up in bad conditions, like how that means a lot to you, cause it's still your childhood right. in a lot of ways. I don't know. You can probably right. speak to this better than me. Honestly, no, I just feel the same way. I feel the same way. Um, I mean, obviously there's layers of poverty where there's nothing cute about it and nothing fun to reminisce about. But if you're having your basic needs met, like you're not homeless and you're not starving, yes, there is going to be some level of nostalgia, wistfulness, um, and, you know, happiness associated with some of the things that you grew up with. There's a simplicity to having little, um... Like it, it doesn't just simplify your life. It, it simple. It clears your mind. You had so few options. You learned to be happy with what you had instead of feeling the urge to buy things in order to attain happiness. This is kind of the mindset that Marie Kondo is trying to get Americans on, and they're like, "Fuck that minimalist shit." But seriously, you can be happier with less, and we see that. Um, Will wasn't unhappy at all in Philadelphia. His mom made him leave because she felt it was dangerous and it probably was, but he wasn't miserable and they don't understand that. (laughs) Right. They don't understand it. And so then in the course of the episode, you know, the playground that he, you know, the playground that he used to play basketball at where he originally got into trouble, they, they go there, um, to play basketball and he reconfronts these bullies 
this dangerous person who who originally beat him up. It's actually a really clever scene because they're they're dressed in a lot of the same clothes uh, from the opening sequence. Um, and Will is ready to like fight this guy, and the guy is like, "No, like I've changed, and I realized." what I was doing wasn't like helpful. And like, now like I work with at risk youth, he says to will, you got to let go of the past. And will has a crisis of con like not conscience, but he does have like, he has like an epiphany and he's like, well, what if I, and he goes, you know, I I'm happier here. I think I want to come home. I think I want to stay here. I think that, I've learned so much and I've grown so much and I want to give back or stay in the place that has so little and try to contribute more with what I know now. And so the season does end with, with Will staying in Philadelphia. That's how we end season four. I think it was a great way to end the season because I feel like he'd finally come full circle. It finally felt like Will wasn't sent away or running away from his problems. Right. Like mm -hmm. he, had kind of made peace with the one thing about where he came from that presented a problem for him. And and he's happy to be home. And I kind of liked this turn because he's been in Bella for so many years now, and he's very accustomed to those creature comforts of being in the bank's residence. But I think it's beautiful to show that um, there are other things that can make someone feel happy or fulfilled other than wealth. Same. I, that's, that's another reason why I, I loved this ending. So, um, season four, good, bad, or basic. I thought season four, um, the Aunt Viv switch aside was a very good season. Same. I'm going to give this season a good, um, like I said, this is, this is a strong season. We get some of our most iconic episodes out of this season. So, um, that all the problems aside, uh, I'm still giving it a good, um, I will say honestly, but I, you know what, I'm going to say like a good minus because the fat jokes and like the uncle Phil episode felt so bad. Uh, so it's a good minus, but it is still a good yeah, honestly, I think I blocked that episode out. <laughs> I'll be very honest with you. It was so bad that I blocked it out, and I didn't remember that that was an episode until I uh, until on the rewatch. I'm like, oh wow, yeah, that shit happened, huh? huh. Um, <laughs> but um, what are some of your favorite episodes from this season, season four? Uh, season four, season four, episode one, uh, in two. What episode one and two, where there's a will, there's a way. Part one and two. Episode four, Father of the Year. That's when Will pretends to be like a single father. <laughs> Episode six, Will goes to Corton. Episode seven, Hex and the Single Guy. That's when they like talk to Trevor <laughs> from Beyond the Grave. <laughs> so great. <laughs> Episode eight, Blood is Thicker Than Mud. Episode nine, Fresh Prince After Dark. Episode 11, Take My Cousin, Please. Episode 14, Sleepless in Bel-Air. Episode 16, I Know Why the Cage Bird Screams. Episode 17, When You Hit Up on a Star. That one's really funny. Episode 20, The Old Ball and Chain. Uh, episode 22, M is for the Marnie thing she gave me. Episode, I think that's the episode where, like, Will sleeps with 
um, the family friend of uh, Uncle Phil. And it's weird and gross. And it's, but it's basically like the graduate, essentially. It's like a spoof of the graduate, but like it's, it's not, it's weird. Episode 24, Papa's got a brand new excuse. And then episode 26, The Philadelphia Story. Yeah. So my favorite episodes of season four would be um, that season opener, um, Where There's a Will, There's a Way, parts one and two, Father of the Year. Number five, It's Better to Have Loved and Lost It. 14, Sleepless in Bel-Air. Number 17, When He Hit Upon a Star. M is for the many things she gave me, episode 22. That was a great one. Um, the The situation was gross, but the way it was handled by Philip, I thought was really, really gallant and good on the show's part. Episode 20, The Old Ball and Chain. This is the day of Jazz's wedding to um, Jewel. I love Jewel, by the way. The actress Same. who plays Jewel played Charmaine on A Different World, and I've always loved her. And, of course, episode 26, The Philadelphia Story. This season had a lot of great episodes, actually. I, I thought everything that they did was handled really, really well. Except for the fat jokes. Don't do that again. Don't do that again. Um, I'm in agreement. So, season five. So, season five picks up. We, we kick off the season with... Um, uh, once again, <laughs> the show doing a really cute sort of wink and nod um, to the audience uh, because, like we said, the the series the season finale ended with Will m- making the decision that he was going to leave and move to Philadelphia. So, cute teaser of this N- NBC suit guy from the network shows up <laughs> to to a Philadelphia set, and he like whips out a contract and he says read this what does it say and he says uh it says fresh prince of bel-air and the guy goes exactly not fresh prince of philadelphia fresh prince of bel-air so get your ass in this van and we're going back to california um and it's funny and, and cute it is um because it's kind of making the show directly self-aware right yeah. Um, I don't think I've ever seen any other show do something like this. <laughs> right. I I love that it was just sort of a last ditch with like the writers. Like the writers couldn't figure out how to get Will back to Bel Air because um because like I because I mean I'll admit it too, like in season the season finale is really comprehensive and good. In fact, it feels like it's interesting. I wonder if they thought they were going to get canceled because the the season four finale almost feels like a series finale. Um, like agree. he comes and he goes full circle and maybe they thought they were going to get canceled and then they didn't end up getting canceled and they were like, okay, so... Uh, <laughs> and they couldn't figure out like a way to reasonably bring him back uh, to... To Bel Air, so they were just like, okay, this is what we're gonna do. Right, right. It did feel like a series finale, that that season four finale. But you know, now they're back on track. And after you know the first and second episodes, what's Will got to do with it and the client, which were a two part two parters. Um, we get back with to regularly scheduled programming with episode three, right? Um, yeah. Right back to where we um 
we left off. This this episode, episode three, is one of the funniest, I think. And it's one that best incorporates the Nikki character. Nikki is Will's youngest cousin. He's a toddler now. And um, again, like we said, the, the, the Vivian character was never well integrated. I think she was absent for 11 episodes last season. And she's absent for eight episodes this season. So she's very, very much in the background incorporating Nikki, I thought was really, really good. So in this episode, Will decides to take or agrees to take Nikki to the mall to see Dougie the whale. That's a play on, I guess, Barney the dinosaur. Yeah. Um, and he meets they he meets Dougie behind stage and Dougie's like really mean to the crew. And he's like shouting up obscenities um right in front of little kids. And him and Dougie get into a fight and um yeah, it doesn't end well. It looks like he's attacking this um this, you know, Nikki's fave. Like he's attack he's attacking um Santa almost. Oh yeah. <laughs> it does it doesn't it ends in tears and sadness. Yeah, it's it, it ends very badly, but it's it's hilarious. And Rod's Ross Badgley, who plays Nikki, does an amazing job, I think, with his performance. Um, very cute, very believable. But um, I think trying to reincorporate um, Will's relationships with his cousins was a good touch to get the show back on track. Absolutely. And, um, they do that. They also do that like in the, in the season opener as well, where they, I guess are like promoting, uh, Tatiana Ali's music career, um, at the time, uh, as well. Um, yeah. So the, those first two episodes are about Ashley's singing career. Um, Tatiana Ali had two really amazing records in the nineties. You guys, uh, daydreaming and then, which is a great song. And then um, Boy, You Knock Me Out, which is another great song. She even had a remix that featured Will Smith. So, like, synergy, synergy. And she has a great voice and she had some great songs. uh, But she was singing, like, pop music. So they never really quite, I think, got behind her. But shout out to her music career that I think should have been bigger. I really liked the songs. I feel like season five, honestly, was not as good as season four. It's a very good season, but I don't feel like it has as many, like, great, standout, super memorable episodes. Not for me, anyway. Uh, I agree with that. I think season five falters. We do meet... I think season five is just more memorable for how relationships develop and more than, like, any sort of meaningful, any sort of particular standout episode mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like I really love um since we're talking about Ashley I really love the the progression of like Ashley and Will's relationship this season mm-hmm. like so this season Ashley starts to basically act she, you know she's grown up now and so she's also wearing sort of like revealing like I think her her clothing gets a bit more like teeny bopper like she's wearing way more like bralette stuff and like stuff that shows her stomach and and that and like she's throwing parties and she's kind of like and she's sneaking out and she's rebelling a bit more and I like I really like that um Will sort of like has her back in all of it uh right I love that we don't get any episodes particularly like because I think the 
I think the the instinct is always to when characters like Ashley grow up and become her age, the instinct is always to be like, oh, poo poo, little girl, like you were so nice. Like, why are you wearing that revealing outfit? Like, none of that happens, um, which I really love and appreciate. Like, we don't ever get an episode with Will being like, Ashley, like, what are you wearing? Cover yourself up. Like, blah, blah, blah. He's just sort of like, okay, I won't tell Uncle Phil. <laughs> like, and like laughs and, um, and, you know, mm-hmm. takes it in stride. And I really loved that. Yeah, I love that as well, um, because I felt like it was probably the only show free of that level of misogyny, because every other show, whether it's the black girl, the white girl, the Hispanic girl, it wouldn't have gone down like this. It wouldn't wouldn't have given the girl this much freedom. Um, I think it's also really cool that Ashley actually drops out of Bel Air Academy and starts attending public school secretly this season. Yeah. This happens in episode seven, Father Knows Best. And Phil agrees to let her finish the semester, not the year, but the semester at this public school. Um, but this is about Ashley taking initiative and like really taking her own autonomy by the horns, which I really, really like. We generally don't see this with, um, like I said, um, girls in sitcoms, particularly not the youngest daughter. That ain't never going to happen. <laughs> Exactly. And I also, I love that you bring that up because um, I also think that speaks to this wild difference between, and it, it makes that episode, this the, this wild difference between like Ashley and Carlton, right? And I think it, it further illuminates why that um, blood is thicker than mud episode is just so annoying is because Ashley goes to public school and doesn't have problems. You know what I mean? Like Ashley can mix with people who are not in her socioeconomic class and still have friends and, and have black friends. And it's not like this thing. Right. And, but it, but she's no different really than Carlton. They both had the same upbringing. Right. And actually she's been, she's grown She's been was born into wealth. Carlton and Hillary, or Hillary and Carlton, because Hillary's oldest, were 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 around and um, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten years old when the banks were still poor. They right. remember what poverty was like. <laughs> so this attitude, specifically from Carlton and Hillary, is really, really interesting to me because once you realize that they were born into poverty it makes you view them very, very differently as if they're, they're trying to go above and beyond like on some very try hard shit to prove that they belong with this wealthy class. Mm, that's a good because point. I, I feel like there's a, a little bit of imposter syndrome with the both of them. Um, but yeah. Um, I mean, um, Ashley wasn't going to school in the hood or anything, but yes, it was a public school. So there are black kids there, much more black kids in Bel Air prep and probably brown kids too. It is California. And we see that she doesn't have the sort of hangups about class that her, her, her elder siblings do. Right. No, exactly. Um, and, and that's what makes it really interesting. Um, I also really like the, and this is something that had started in season four, but definitely continues in season five. Um, I really love the sort of brotherhood that's that's found between Will and Carlton. Um, 
Will and Carlton are definitely like, I think brothers, like they like hardcore, a lot of the sort of digs that they take each other, they take at each other. And that like sort of adversary, that adversarial nature of their relationship um, dissipates. And they're, they really are joy to watch in turn with their relationships in terms of like them living together and living life and getting into all their hijinks is, is really fun to watch this season. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, I think it's, I think it's really, really good. Um, this is also the season where Will starts dating Lisa, who would later become his, uh, fiance. Um, her, her name is Beulah, but she goes by Lisa. Beulah, why would you do that to a child? <laughs> um, Anyways, um, abuse, <laughs> call CPS, <laughs> but seriously, um, this, this season is great. And I thought that, uh, Will Smith and Neil Long have some, I don't want to say it's great off on screen chemistry because it's not like, ah, oh, hot and passionate, but they do very much feel like people who've been dating for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. Lisa played by Neil Long, uh, guys, oh, it was so great to see her. Um, and you're right. They do have chemistry and. I mean, it's so good that they ended up being in a movie together once again, dating, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Made in America with uh, Whoopi Goldberg, Ted Danson, Neil Long, and, and Will Smith in that movie. I think pl- that movie predates this. I believe it does. But yeah, um, they, they were together in that movie, but I think the movie's older than this season. I, that is a great movie, by the way. It was our movie of the day on the page. Um, you guys should absolutely check out Made in America. Um, Ted Danson and Whoopi Goldberg were also dating in this era. Who we don't like to talk about those. Dark we don't ages. talk about it. It's dark. It's <laughs> the dark ages. Yeah. So, well, I guess the year previously, then because this this episode is uh, the season's build is is airing in 1994. So, I guess maybe that's where they got the idea to even cast her on the show. Um, is from that which. I mean, brilliant. It works. Um, and Nia Long, oh gosh, you guys, Nia Long was like a moment. Like you, you, like there was nobody better than Nia Long. Like for the, once again, for the kids, <laughs> Nia Long was like, you go, you go Google Nia Long nineties. Like she was so unmatched. Um, so Lisa, so Lisa shows up and she she stays here this season and she's um she plays Will's girlfriend and she eventually becomes his fiance. Um and it doesn't work out. They don't go through with it. She decides she doesn't want to get married for reasons. It's never really clarified. I thought on yeah. the rewatch her it would make more sense to me, but I'm like, I'm still very lost. Like are you saying no because it's not the right time? Or, like, are you saying no because you're getting ready to shoot Friday? Is it? That's what I said. <laughs> I was like, she must have gotten, like, she, she, I was like, oh, I guess Friday does come out this time. She had to leave to go shoot it. But, like, how random. Like, they couldn't find, like, a good reason. And then she never comes back ever again. Not even, I thought she would at least, like, they would try to do that thing where, like, they bring her back and then it's drama a little, but no, that doesn't happen. Yeah, it doesn't happen. And honestly, I'm glad they didn't bring Lisa back. Um, because it felt like, even though I didn't understand her reasons, it felt like there was a finality. There was closure 
there, right? In their relationship ending. Um, who um, we do get to see John Amos though um, as Fred. He was a dad, James, on Good Times, and he's Lisa's dad, Fred, on on this show. Um, so we got to see him at least. Um, right. Um, you know, during this engagement um, process, but season five, honestly, I just felt like it could be summed up as Will in his first serious relationship and um, Ashley um, living her best life. That's season five. Yeah, that's season five. Same. I think that's it's a perfect, accurate description of season five. And, so and Nikki have- being cute. Toddler Nikki is cute. Toddler Nikki is mad cute. And they usually, they don't always do this right in sitcoms either. The toddler comes in and is annoying and distracting as hell. But no, toddler Nikki is cute and I think he's used just enough. And, uh, you know, I would I would have liked to see more of Ross Badgley after that, um, after Fresh Prince. But it's it can be very hard making the transition from a child actor, especially when you start off that young. Yeah, agreed. Same. Um, but my episodes that stand out to me this season. So I really like the client, uh, the client part one, what's Will got to do with it? Part two, episode three, reality bites episode five, fresh prints, the movie episode eight soul train. It's an entire episode dedicated to just soul train (laughs) like it's exactly what it sounds like everybody gets on soul train and there are like hijinks that ensue and like don cornelius shows up and it's really great and fun episode 10 wills up the dirt road episode 11 will steps out episode 13 three's a crowd episode 15 bullets over bel-air episode 17 will is from mars episode 19 slum like it not episode 20 as the will turns and then episode 25 for whom the wedding bells toll right that's those are all great um i guess my favorites that you didn't list maybe were um you said episode three reality bites episode seven father knows best episode eight soul train great episode with phil and vivian Episode 11, Will Steps Out. And, yeah, I would say episode 25, For Whom the Wedding Bells Toll. Um, This is a cute episode, too, because we also see a lot of um, guest-starring actresses that were hot at the time. Tempest Bledsoe, uh, Kim Fields, Garcelle Beauvais, and Arthel Neville um, all show up when they realize that Will is back on the market. (laughs) (laughs) So that was really cute. And I thought it was great to end with something happening, whether the wedding happened or it didn't happen. I thought it was it was great that they this was our finale. Um, so another good season, like I said, it doesn't live up to season four simply because season four was season all honestly, all the seasons of this show are good, but season seasons three and four had a lot of standout episodes for me. Same. Um so the grade for season five, good, bad, or basic. Good. What about you? Same. I'm going to still put it at good. All right. Let's jump into season six. It is the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air's final, final season. Um, Like, 
they are coming to a close. It's 24 episodes. Um, you know, another long season. Let's jump into season six and that 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 page, that chapter ender. Yeah, season six. So season six uh, kicks off with, um, I think, one of, an, an iconic episode, at least in my mind, where Will burns down the entire kitchen. <laughs> and he has to um, serve this dinner to one of Phyllis, Phil, Uncle Phil's business friends without them ever discovering that like he is he is burned down this entire kitchen (laughs) um like fire marshals and everybody come so and and it's it's a great episode it is a fantastic episode it's really really funny i feel like there's a meme of that like will in the midst of the fire yeah like there and he's like screaming or something this season we kind of get more into what Hillary's doing again. You know, she's she she's she's her life has gone on post Trevor and she has a talk show. Um yeah. And and she's got employees and like Hillary's a boss. Hillary's getting shit done. Yeah, shout out to that. Shout out to that girl. <laughs> Somehow uh in in all of her self-absorbed and airheadedness she she's making it happen for herself yeah um and it's crazy um because we never thought that hillary was particularly talented or intelligent or hardworking. but nope. <laughs> but here we but are here we are here we are um Episode seven is also another one that I really love. Not with my cousin, you don't. This is another one where Ashley's considering having sex, this time with her boyfriend, Derek, who's played by Jaleel White, um, better known as Stephen Q. Urkel. Um, she becomes furious at, at Carlton and Will for overhearing what she has to say. You know, they both agree that, like, they both want to have sex, but they feel like they're rushing this because he's leaving. And right. then Will apologizes to Ashley for treating her like a child, which is something we also don't see a lot. You know, this treat the woman or treat the 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 the, the teenage girl like she's got a, a cell in her head and not like she's a little girl. Right, right. And I love I love that apology that he like recognizes and then he's like, Yeah, that was wrong of me. Episode eight was also really great. This is Viva Lost Wages, where they decide to go to Vegas for Carlton's 21st birthday. And of course, that never ends well. Oh, yeah, um, that's a funny one. Wayne, Wayne Newton guest stars on the episode. He was still a thing back then. But yeah, it's we have a lot of great one-offs um, surrounding on, like you said, Will and Carlton's like this really great fraternal relationship between them, as well as the growth of both Hillary and Ashley as individuals. I really think that it is it can be a trial to keep the family unit strong while giving everyone their a character arc, a uh, uh, real growth and their own identity outside of the family. And the writers handle this very well. I agree. We even get um, it's it's interesting. We even get like a uh Vivian and Uncle Phil's marriages in trouble episodes this season. Oh right, right, right. I mean that's what happens when you leave your wife for another woman uh, mid-series, but no. <laughs> um 
Like, in all honesty, though, I think even that was realistic. Like, we talk a lot about marital problems when it comes to people who are newlyweds or people who become new parents because of that, you know, that particular strain. But I think a lot of us, um, it's particularly single people feel like once you've been married X amount of years, you don't have marital problems anymore. Yeah, that like marriage marriage is constant work. I think we have a bunch of narratives like like that now, but it is still like a, a pretty recent thing. Like it's a it's a I think now we have like um a lot of stories and, and plots that like revolve around people who've been married a really long time who are like who want to get divorced or or there's issues there. But but yeah, like I said, it's it's still a relatively new phenomenon. But I love I love the way that the show handles these characters. I love it all. We find out that Jeffrey has a son this season. Yes, Jeffrey has a whole son. Although, like, it's sad because then the son acts so ridiculous. But, like, the fact that we find out... Right. His son is, like, what? Ashamed that he's a butler, right? Yeah. And, like, so his son, Frederick, has basically gotten everything that... that um you know, from his father's hard work. And he's telling that, he's telling his, um, he, he he thought that his son Frederick would go to Butler school. But his son just ends up being a thief. Right. He um, ends up being a thief and, and he's like, I'd rather thieve. And he's like ashamed that Jeffrey has like worked, his whole life is, has been in for working for this family. Right, but it's like, Everybody got a job, sweetie. Um, he just has fewer bosses and less overhead than most. <laughs> um, <laughs> right. Like, do you think these people working at these cubicles are somehow better than the butler? Right. Or the person it's... working in the factory nine to five is somehow better than the butler? They're in, in fact, they're in a much worse situation. Sure. <laughs> yeah, you know, domestic work is honest work. It's honest work. <laughs> just like, I... Um, and, um... It's weird. It like for people to get hung up over it is like weird. Yeah, it's very it's very strange to me. And you know, when you're a man too, it's relatively safe work. You don't, you usually don't have to worry about like the employer doing anything untowards, right? And right. Jeffrey hasn't had to pay um rent or bills or food for decades. Right. So, if you so if we stipulate that the that the um the banks are paying him a fair wage, um and then he's not and then he doesn't pay for room and board and then yeah and then he gets free food, like he's been, I mean my gosh like that's a living like and then he's I know getting he's better than your starving artist out here like you know literally dying in L A in between in between gigs. I just I mean he's living it particularly if like his also if his vacation time is fair like. I mean, he's doing it. He's out here doing doing big things. Right, right. And I, I think that's those are the things that we don't really think about. We're like, we're thinking, of, oh, you clean up after other people. Well, someone's got to do it, sis. Someone's got to do it. Someone's um, got to do it. And, and if people won't do it for themselves, why shouldn't other people capitalize on that and make a career? Um, but the the episode with with Jeffrey and his son, I thought I thought was really really great because we we get our one of our first few glimpses that Jeffrey does have a life outside of the banks, right? Right. But everyone's just you know growing in their own direction and finding their own path, and I like that. 
Definitely. I mean, this is another season where, like, uh, there's no... I don't have a lot of particular um, standouts to me, but it is... It is cohesive in that, like you said, everyone's going in their right in their own direction, and um, the series ends. So let's talk about how the series ends. It's we've talked about this before, but it is incredibly hard to to do have a series on as long as you have it on. I think once you get past like season five, it's really hard to get to like a good ending or a satisfying ending. But Fresh Prince has an extremely satisfying ending. Like, it's a really great ending. It does. There's no loose threads. There's no cliffhangers. Everybody's basically preparing for their future in that that I done, um, part one and two. Um, eventually, um, Hillary's talk show moves to New York. Ashley moves with her to live with her because she will be attending a performing arts school in New York, which again makes sense for both of their characters and their trajectory so far. Carlton transfers to Princeton, also makes sense. Um, and um, Jeffrey moves back to London to be with his son. And then um, Philip and Vivian decide that they're going to move with Nikki to New York so that they can be closer to their kids. Also makes sense. Will's the only one who stays behind in California to finish his degree. And that kind of also makes sense um, that he kind of. He came to the family when he was he he was he ha- he hadn't found his footing yet, but now he has. Will can be independent from the rest of the family now, right? And and really go on to f- be independent and forge his own path. And um, and listen, it's not certain. Like one of the things I really love about what will like some of and I'm paraphrasing, but some of the ending monologues or some of the ending lines he says is that, you know, he's will saying like, he's kind of afraid because, um, he's like, I'm, you know, I'm still just in your pool house. It's like, everyone's sort of going off to do all these incredible things. And I'm still just, you know, here. It's like, what if I'm the same person? What if I haven't really done anything because it doesn't feel like I'm moving on. And, um, Uncle Phil is like, that's the dumbest shit I've ever heard in my whole life. Like, of course you've changed. You've grown so much. You've become such a different person. You're, you do so much different shit now. Like you, you're going to be fine. You're going to go on. And, and that felt very relatable, uh, for where he was. Sometimes someone just needs to tell us what we've accomplished because it's hard sometimes to keep track of your own accomplishments and your own personal growth, right? Right. Um, And so then the series ends with the set, uh, this this long, it, it pans out to like this sort of angled shot, but it's a shot of the set, the, the main set, the living room, the main living room set and all the furniture of the set has been, that's usually on the set has been, um, shuffled out. We don't see it. So it looks as if, um, it's an empty house and it's perfect. It's, and it's silent. There's no music. It's just this, this long shot, but it's very, it's super satisfying. It, 
feels complete. And that's a hard thing to do. It's an extremely hard thing to do. And uh, Fresh Prince nails it. And I loved it. It's it's emotional without being like super overwrought. Um, it's just perfect. I agree. They really did get this ending pitch perfect. It was just enough. It gave us closure on every single member of the family. Um, hashtag nobody left behind. And it felt like if everything, every choice made felt authentic to each character who made it. So um, love it. Love it. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have done anything differently. So season six, what is your grade? Good, bad, or basic? Good. Another solid good for me. Same. I thought the season was good. And um, yeah, yeah, there's really nothing more to say. I really, I don't feel that many shows are capable of doing many seasons and doing all those seasons well. Besides The Fresh Prince that became more serialized as it went on, the only other show that I felt did this well and ended just when and how it need to, needed to was Malcolm in the Middle. I see like, that. I feel that. I can't think of any other show that I didn't feel I f- didn't think went on way too long or somehow lost itself somewhere along the way. Um, but excellent job. Shout out to the writers. Yeah, that what you had to do in that room. Congrats. It's a time capsule. I think if you're interested in if you're just like a nerd and you're interested just like in time like the time and then it, it's a cool show to watch. Um, I think it's important just because I think it's important in like just the pantheon of like sitcoms and like the history of sitcoms and like the history of like black television. I think it's important, but it's definitely just like, it's a thing of its time. I think most definitely it's, it's one of those. I mean, definitely tune into for the, for, to the first season, just for the colorful early nineties fits. We need that. Um, <laughs> yeah. The way that will, um, and Ashley and Hillary dressed throughout the show, I feel like is a character all in of itself. Absolutely. Um, I agree. And there you have it, folks. This is everything that we think made the back half of The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air good, bad, basic, and totally enjoyable. If you'd like to check out this hilarious series, Fresh Prince is currently streaming on HBO Max. Please let us know your thoughts on this series via our Twitter or Instagram. If you've enjoyed this episode of The Good, The Bad, The Basic, be sure to share it with your friends. And if you're a patron on our top two tiers, be sure to check out our our Fresh Prince Spotify playlist if you haven't already. Tune in next week when we'll be keeping with our throwback season, rolling with part one of our discussion on the very memorable Sister Sister. If you'd like to check out or relive this series before then, Sister Sister is currently streaming on Netflix. Follow The Good, The Bad, The Basic on all major podcast platforms to listen to our regular weekly episodes on the go. Leave us a review on your preferred platform and be sure to share our weekly episodes on your social media. Please follow us at The Good, Bad, Basic on Twitter and at Good, Bad, Basic Pod on Instagram to get in on our daily content. Also, be sure to follow our SoundCloud page, The Good, The Bad, The Basic. If you love this sort of content and want more, become a show producer and patron on Patreon. You can find us at 
patreon.com forward slash good bad basic your support allows us to keep bringing you these regular weekly episodes as well as exclusive bonus material until next time bye everyone